How's everybody doing? Uh, balmy morning, right? It's going to change quick. <laughs> but uh, before we get started uh, this morning, just want to again highlight baptism. Uh, I know some people are wondering why we keep talking about baptism. We keep talking about baptism because it was important to Jesus. He said that's the first thing that we do when we place our faith and trust in him is identify with him publicly. So really want to encourage you if you've, uh, you know, consider yourself a born-again Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, but you've never been baptized, you followed him in baptism, we're going to be having a class uh, being held by JJ next Sunday after the service. So I want to invite you to that. Um, I'll tell you, it's... Uh, that's really what launches you off in your walk is when you p- make that public declaration of identifying with Jesus in baptism. All right, well, this is, of course, a special Sunday for most Americans. This is the Sunday, this is the day that we celebrate the American great God, which is not really, not the Super Bowl, but the Super Bowl commercials, correct? Nobody really cares about the Super Bowl. They just, it's the commercials. It's the commercials. Now, I know that there's a lot of drama that comes with, with Sunday. The drama's building, and people want to know who's going to win. So we're going to take a lot of the drama out for you this morning, and we are going to not only tell you who will win, but we will give you the score. We will actually give you the score. So first for the amateur predictions. Well, actually, these were last year's predictions, okay? And uh, so we just wanted you to see that. That was the final score. It's kind of a surprise score. And, and, and Jeff got lucky. Okay. <laughs> so here we go with the amateur predictions for this year. First, we'll have JJ's jolting prediction. And he says it's going to be the Seahawks 27, the Patriots 31. Patriots 31. Obviously, JJ may not be a prophet after all. All right. Jeff's garish prediction. He's got the Patriots at 21, Seahawks 24. Mike's mad prediction. He's got the Patriots at 27 and the Seahawks at 31. And here's Tom's tall prediction. He's got Seahawks 31 and the Patriots 35. And now the moment we've all been waiting for... The great Swami's prediction, Frank's fearless prediction. Here we go. We got the Patriots 21 and the Seattle Seahawks 27. That will be your score this Sunday. All right, now that we got the drama over with, we can get down to the serious business. And this morning, we're going to continue our study in the book of Revelation. And I've entitled the message, The Great American Idol. Father, it's great to have fun. And I do believe that humor is a gift, and we should use it liberally. But I also thank you for your word, for your word is truth. And when we walk in that truth, we genuinely walk in freedom. And I I know there are many people in bondage this morning. And I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that you're going to move in a powerful way now in these next several minutes. The words that you give us are not intended to hurt or destroy, but they are intended to bring conviction, repentance, and healing and wholeness. And so, Lord, I just ask, Holy Spirit, that you be powerfully present. Nothing's going to happen without you, Holy Spirit, of eternal value. So I am crying out, Holy Spirit, that you will now come, that you will come even in a more powerful way. 
that you will give us soft hearts and ears to hear what you are trying to talk and tell us, not only here, but I believe uh, in this generation in America. And so I ask, as always, that you would fill me from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head. And I do ask that the words that I speak would be eternal words, life-giving words, your words. And I just thank you for what you're going to do here in the next several minutes, and I just praise you. This morning, we're going to talk about money, and we're going to find out that money is indeed the mother of all idols. Now, as I said, we are in the book of Revelation, and last week we looked at Revelation in chapter 14. If you have missed any of these messages so far, you can actually go to the Bethlehem Community Church Echo Chamber, the Bethlehem Community Church website, and uh, you just go, menu, hit sermons, and you'll see all the previous sermons there. Now, this morning, we are not going to be looking at Revelations chapter 15 and 16. And Skip, can you put up the graphic? Revelation chapters 15 and 16 pertain to the seventh trumpet. You can zero in now, Skip. The seventh trumpet has the seven what we call bold judgments. And those are really just the last 30 days of the seven-year tribulation period. And those seven bold judgments culminate in what is known as the Battle of Armageddon. Skip, can you put that picture up? There you see the Battle of Armageddon in graphic form. And uh, it's, you know, what I want you to see in the Battle of Armageddon is by the time that God finishes judging Satan. By the time he finishes judging the Antichrist, the false prophet, and all the rebellious people of the earth, the earth will look like this. Skip, can you put that picture up? That's what the earth is going to look like. It will look exactly like that. Is there anyone here now that uh, would be interested in owning the earth? Anyone here interested in running the earth? Is anyone here interested in maybe buying some good real estate? Does anyone think perhaps that Nashville, Los Angeles, Canton, Ohio, Cooperstown, Washington, D.C., New York City, does anybody think any of these things will matter when the earth looks like this? I really want you to understand, by the time you finish Revelations 15 and 16, that is what the judged earth will look like. You see, here's the great deception. The great deception is that this world here actually matters. The great deception, I want you to say, I I pray you'll never forget that picture because the great deception is that this present world actually matters. It's not true. You know, so many in this world are madly climbing the ladder of success. And you know what happens when they get to the top? Sadly, they find out that the ladder has been leaning against the wrong wall the whole time. And that's going to be tragic. Do you know what most people's undoing will be? Well, let's find out. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation chapter 17. Revelation chapter 17, and I'm going to start at verse 1. We're told this. It says this. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come. I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters 
With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Now, to understand Revelation chapter 17, you have to understand that God equates spiritual idolatry with sexual adultery and immorality. And so it's, 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 it's important that you understand that. And the obvious question here is, who is the great prostitute? And what is the idol that all of the kings of the earth, now get this, all the kings of the earth and all the peoples of the earth have consorted with? Then we're told this in verse 3. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a desert. There I saw a woman sitting. That woman is the great prostitute. She's sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. We know that as the coming world ruler, the Antichrist in his kingdom. And note... Just note that she is on top. She actually controls, whoever the prostitute is, this great prostitute, she actually controls the arrival, the rise of this coming world ruler and his empire. Then it says this, verse 4. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones, and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. This woman is dressed like a prostitute, and obviously this prostitute is clearly the great enemy of anything that is godly. Now watch verse 5. This title was written on her forehead. Mystery. Mystery means that which was previously hidden, not revealed. Babylon the Great. That is the great ancient empire, and we'll see that in just a few moments. The mother of prostitutes and the abominations of the earth. So Babylon is the mother of all that is godless, all that is rebellious. And the question is, what did Babylon do? And in order to understand, really, Revelation, one of the great keys is to understanding Babylon. And to understand Babylon, you do have to understand a little history in the Bible. And in Genesis chapter 11, Babylon jumps onto the scene. But it's interesting, two chapters earlier were told this in Genesis chapter 9 and verse 1. Noah and his three sons were commanded by God. Now watch this. God says to him after the great flood, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Now, that seems simple enough. I mean, even a football lineman can understand that, right? I mean, that's crystal clear. What's there not to understand? Now, watch what it says, though, in Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11, starting at verse 1, we're told this. It says, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city, that's Babylon, with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we can make a name for ourselves. Now watch this. And not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Do you understand that Babylon, ancient Babylon, was built by man in absolute rebellion to God and his command to them to multiply and to spread and fill the entire earth? Babylon was built in a vain attempt to short-circuit, I want you to understand this, the purposes and plans of God. 
In fact, we are told here in Genesis 11 that these people, these Babylonians, they built a tower. Skip, can you put that picture up? That tower is called a zagarot. And, you know, as they studied Zagorets, there's been many opinions about what were these Zagorets. One opinion is, is that they were a temple. They were a place of worship. That's quite possible. Another opinion about a Zagoret is that they were some kind of astrological observatory. That may be true also. But what's interesting about Genesis in chapter 11 is this particular Zagorit, I believe, and there's also many other people that believe that as crazy as this sounds, the whole objective of this particular tower was to build it high enough that men thought they could reach into heaven and supplant and depose the God of the universe. Now, you may think that's crazy, but listen to what it says in Psalm 2. This is how crazy men can be. If you have your Bibles, turn with me. In Psalm chapter 2, or Psalm 2, we read this. Why do the nations conspire and and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Now watch this. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. That is exactly what the Babylonians were saying. And that's what so many people today also say. Now watch this. So watch God's response, verse 4. The one enthroned in heaven laughs and he scoffs at them. Do you realize that this is the only place that God laughs in the entire Bible? It's not good when God laughs. Let me ask you this question. What chance do you think a rowboat has against a battleship? Anybody think a rowboat would have a chance against a battleship? We would say that's laughable. I'm going to tell you it's laughable to believe that man can live without God. It is laughable that man actually thinks that he can be his own God. But that's exactly what the Babylonians were thinking. And it is just incredible that they would actually believe that. But they did. So Babylon, I want you to see in the Bible, is actually the poster child for all that is godless, for all that is rebellious and and challenging of God and his plans and his purposes. Interestingly enough, though, Babylon has the distinction of actually inventing the greatest, the mother of all idols known to man. Anybody know what that is? That's right, money. Babylon was the first to coin money. Babylon actually created the potential to have great wealth. And by the way, that is what all the kings and people have consorted with. A lot of people believe that what's talked about in Revelation 17, the great prostitute, is false religion. That's wrong. I'll tell you why it's wrong. You can go visit India, and they've got three million gods. You've got the Islamic nation. Then you've got over in the east and the orient, and you've got them having Shintoism and all other kinds of religions. You've got over in Russia, you've got atheism. And somehow, some way, we've got people believing that you're going to get Christianity, Judaism, Islam, all the Hinduism, all these various religions, somehow to form this gigantic false religion. That's just not the case. It's to misunderstand what Babylon actually did. Babylon didn't create false religion. But what Babylon did do is coin money, create the potential for great wealth. And that is what all the kings consorted with. And all the people of the world have consorted with. You know, it's interesting, even when I was in India, and they're into Hinduism and three million gods, 
You know what they wanted? The moment I got out? Money. Money speaks to everyone. Money speaks to everyone. Now, no doubt some of you are thinking, well, Frank, are you saying that money is evil? And you know, as I was doing some studying for this message, I ran across this quote. Skip, can you put this quote up? If money is the root of all evil, why do churches want it? You know, (laughs) I love that. Now, that is actually a quote from 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10 in the Greek actually reads this way. Here's how it reads. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. That is what 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10 says. Now, the careful student of Scripture will note, it did not say that money is the root of all evil. It didn't say that. It said that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Skip, can you put up that picture? You have to understand, money in and of itself is amoral. Now listen to me. Hear what I'm going to say now. The problem with money, and most preachers won't touch this with a 10-foot pole, because I'll tell you what, what I'm going to say next will empty the pews out and would stop you from giving. But what most preachers will not tell you is that the problem with money is that we have a great propensity to love it. It is almost virtually impossible for human beings not to love money because of what it can do. It is virtually impossible for human beings, I'm going to prove this in a moment, to not love money because of what it can do. And because of that, most people, almost all people, have a stronghold of money. Do you know that Jesus spoke about money almost more than any other topic? Isn't that amazing? Jesus, you can look at Jesus money almost more than any other topic. And what he had to say about money wasn't good. In fact, one of his most famous statements comes in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. And the context of Matthew chapter 26 and verse 4 is retirement. Do you know what the New Testament says about retirement? You don't. No. You don't. There's no retirement in the New Testament. In other words, when you turn 65, you don't retire. Retirement for the believer is when you die. And the question is this. No, now listen to this. The question is, have I adequately and properly prepared for my retirement by laying up treasures in heaven? Then Jesus says this. You you can read it for yourself. Then he says this in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. Skip, can you put it up? No one, no one can serve two masters. You will hate the one and you will love the other. You will delight in the one and despise the other. No one. No one can serve both God and money. Now, I want you to notice what Jesus said here. Jesus didn't say you cannot serve both God in sex or God in fame or God in power or God in work or God in family, although these statements would be true. But I want you to notice Jesus, for some reason, singles out money. And the reason why he singles out money is because there's something about money that is so dangerous to so it is more dangerous than any other idol known to man. You know, in Luke chapter 18, there's a rich young man. 
some scriptures put a rich young ruler. I think he was a rich young businessman. And all businessmen love contracts. And he said, Jesus, I want a contract to get into heaven. And Jesus said, Roger that. And he said, here's the contract, Mac. This is all in the Greek, of course. He says, I'm telling you what I want you to do. I want you to take everything that you got. I want you to sell it and then give it to the poor. All the money, all the proceeds after you sell it, I want you to give it to the poor. And then I want you to sign on the dotted line here. And you know what the rich young man said? Ding, thanks for playing, Jesus. And he walks away. Again, this is all in the Greek. And then Jesus says, now listen, I watch this though. Jesus says these sobering words in Luke chapter 18. Don't miss it in verse 24 and 25. He said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. No, no. Jesus is saying money is dangerous. Forget a 357 Magnum or an atomic bomb or a nuclear bomb. He said, boom, this is a nuclear bomb. Wealth when it drops in the middle of any human being. In fact, he says that money will keep many people out of heaven. He says that money will keep many people out of heaven. Why is this? Jesus actually gives us the answer a few verses earlier in Luke chapter 18. The context is this. Jesus is beckoning the children to come to him. He's playing with the children, in fact. And then Jesus makes this stunning statement in verse 17. He says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter. You know, I I thought a lot about that statement. How many here think that maybe Jesus was just kidding? No, no, no. You know, no, yeah, you know how it is. He's playing with the kids and you know, he loses his head a little bit. You know, and he says, oh, you know, nobody, you, you know, who receives, if you don't receive the, you know, the kingdom like a little child, you can't enter. You know, he just kind of lost himself there, and he was just kind of kidding. Anybody think Jesus was exaggerating? See, I think Jesus was deadly serious. I think he was deadly serious. And I thought about it. I said, well, what in the world could he be driving at? And here's what I came up with. I remembered when I was a child. When I was a kid, when I was a child, my parents told me when I had to eat and what I had to eat. They told me when I had to go to bed. They told me when I had to do my chores and what chores I had to do. I mean, I really thought I was a POW in a concentration camp. (laughs) Maybe maybe you felt that way. No autonomy. And then, oh, happy day, I grew up. And I was able to do whatever I wanted to do. Well, maybe not exactly. I can do whatever I want to do as long as Susan says so. But that would be an entirely different message. Some of you can think about that. Seriously. You know, I go to bed anytime I want to go to bed now. In fact, I can get up in the morning and I can eat cake and ice cream for breakfast. It's awesome. I am totally autonomous. I am independent. And you know what? You know what the real ticket, by the way? You know what the real ticket to autonomy is? Anybody know? What is the real 
ticket to autonomy, to being free in this country? Money. Money. Skip, can you put it up? Money not only gives you the ability to have options and autonomy, but get this, money gives you security. Not really, but it gives you the illusion of security. And let me tell you, there are two things that every human being, almost every single human being wants. The first thing we want is autonomy and freedom. The second thing we want is security. And you see, money gives us the illusion that we have autonomy, that we are independent, and that we are secure. And that's what makes money just so intoxicating. That is what makes it such an intoxicating, addictive, narcotic. That's what makes it have such a stronghold on people. And God knows this. You know, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible is in the book of Exodus in chapter 16. I've entitled Exodus chapter 16, Israelites go to DTS. Not Dallas Theological Seminary, but Desert Theological Seminary. And if you have your Bibles, look with me at Exodus chapter 16 for a moment and verse 1. I think you'll find it extremely interesting, and then I wanted to get very practical at the end. It says this, The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. Skip, can you put up that map? So you see, when Skip put up the map, you see the Exodus route, and you see them tooling around what's known as the desert of Sin. Then we're told this. It said, in the desert of Sin, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. Yeah, right. Delusion's a great thing. But you, now watch this. I love this. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Isn't that amazing? The Israelites are in the desert of sin. And what do they do? They sin. And they commit, oh, now I love the Israelites. They know how to sin well. No, no, I mean, they sin, I mean, they sin with passion. They are really grumbling against God. And if you really want to get under God's skin, just grumble. You know, so often I've thought, you know, maybe Psalm 23 reads, the Lord is my shepherd and I hardly have anything I need. Right? I mean, that'd be the way you think it reads, but it doesn't. It says, the Lord is my shepherd and I lack No thing. So often we don't believe that though. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instruction. Do you think God still tests today? You better believe he's going to test us. And he wants to test us to see if we're obedient. Just as he tested the Israelites He will also test us. Now watch. Did the Israelites pass the test? On the sixth day, they were to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be as twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening you will know that it is the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? 
Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is bread from the Lord. He has given to you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one of you is to gather as much as he needs. Take an omer, that is two quarts for each person you have in your tent. Then the Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some gathered little. And when they measured it by the omer, the court, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered too little did not have, or he gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. Now watch this though. Here's what I want you to see. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until the morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. Geez, shocking. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. If the Jews teach us nothing else, what they teach us is that God wants us to depend on him daily. God, no, no, please hear this. God wants us to learn to depend on him daily. Not to be independent and autonomous. He wants us to depend and find our security in his provision. This is what it means. Get this now. This is what it means to receive the kingdom of God like a child. They are totally dependent on their parents. And God wants us totally dependent upon him. So let me challenge us now as we close. You know, I've been asked on numerous occasions, and I don't know if you're watching the news, but I've been asked on numerous occasions, you know, we see what's happening in the world. I mean, you can just look around the world. You can see great economic calamity on the horizon, great economic calamity coming this way. You can even see it beginning to affect America. And people ask, well, what should I do? What should I do about this? I want to just give you two pieces of advice as we close down. The first piece of advice that I want you to give you is this. First, learn to rely less on money. Learn to rely less on money. It is amazing how many people I run into that think you need money to enjoy life. I was told a long, long time ago by a very smart professor, you don't need to own it to enjoy it. You don't need to own it to enjoy it. We're going to see just in a moment one of the great gifts that you will be given by God and only God can give it to you is the ability to enjoy what you have. I also want to say, have you ever wondered why God gives you money? Some of us have a lot. Some of us have a little less. Have you ever wondered why God gives you money? I'll tell you why. Because he wants to see what we're going to do with it. 
He wants to see how we are going to use it. And this hitchhiker had the second piece of advice. So learn to rely less on money. My second piece of advice is learn to rely more on God. One of the reasons why I am very excited to go back to India, if for no other reason, is that one. When I went there a year ago, you know, I thought I had a walk with God. And then I saw those men. And they showed me something I knew nothing about. Now, these men knew how to rely on God. Most of them lived on less than $2 a day. $2 a day. They weren't rushing to a hospital or a doctor when they got an owie. There wasn't CVS. No. It was mind-blowing to me. They had actually learned how to rely on the living God and his provision, you know, and, and his healing powers. I mean, it was Awesome, And they really believed that God would move in their life and in their situation. And can you believe it? Here's, you know, fat, dumb Frank, an American, and I envied them and what they had. Let me tell you something. When you look at Revelation chapter 17, what allows this coming world ruler to arise, to power, and grab power is money. What gives them the ability ultimately to control the masses, we're going to see, is money. No, I'm serious. It is money that allows for this. And so I want to close with two scriptures, and this is how we close. Can you put up the first one? 1 Timothy chapter 6. Watch this. But godliness, Paul says, with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You know what one of the great keys to life is? One of the great keys of life is to learn contentment. Is to learn contentment. Wouldn't it be great if you were really content? Think about it with your partner. It's so tragic. We always keep thinking the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. Wouldn't it be great if we could be content with the partner that we have, with the kids that we have, with the job that we have? Not only to be content with it, but actually enjoy it. To actually enjoy it. You know what the secret of contentment is? I'll tell you the secret of contentment. The secret of contentment is to say, Lord, I want you to rip out everything in my heart. Everything in my heart that is selfish, that wants what it wants, when it wants it. And I want you to replace it with Jesus. So Holy Spirit, because watch this. Because when you're not full of yourself, you can be filled with the Spirit. And when you're filled with the Spirit, he gives you the gift of enjoyment and contentment. And that's a gift no one can buy. No one can buy that. No amount of money can buy you that. Here's the final verse. Look at these. This comes from the wisest men to ever live. 
Solomon said, then I realized that it is good and proper for a man to eat and drink and to find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given him. For this is his lot. Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him, now watch this, to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is a gift from God. He seldom reflects on the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart. Now watch this. I have seen another evil under the sun, and it weighs heavily on men. Now watch this. God gives a man wealth, possessions, and honor so that he lacks nothing his heart desires. Now watch this. But God does not enable him to enjoy them, and a stranger enjoys them instead. That means his, 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 his kids. <laughs> Isn't that a bummer? This is meaningless and a grievous evil. Can you believe that? No, it's almost like a cruel joke. I mean, it's almost God says, fine, I'm going to give you the desires of your heart, but I'm going to keep you from one thing. I'm not going to give you the ability to enjoy it. Nanner, nanner, nanner. (laughs) And see, that's the tragedy that most of us are under right now. Which one are you? Are you the person that, let's face it, we're the rich. I hate to tell you that. We're the rich. Are you enjoying what you have or not? Which one are you? Father, I thank you for your word. Your word brings life if we allow it to. And I really pray, Lord, that you're going to begin to breathe a faith in us. Because it's going to be hard. A faith that we've never known. A faith to rely less on money and material things. And a faith that begins when we find ourselves in a particular situation. Say, God, I want to rely on you. I want to trust in you and your provision. I want to see. I want to see you move in my life. So many of us are desperate for the presence of God. It only happens when we begin to rely on him. I ask for this in your precious name. Amen.